Welcome to Discerning Catholicism, where a Protestant steps into the lion's den to discern whether there really is anything within Catholicism worth protesting about. Here we discern what it would take for a Protestant to become a Catholic. My name is Joshua King. I am a Protestant and I am here today with Dr. Cameron Surrey, who is the Senior Chaplain at the Auckland Catholic Tertiary Chaplaincy. So how's the, uh, how's the first week of uh, New Zealand's COVID lockdown treating you? Yeah, so far so good. I guess it's kind of like being on a restricted holiday where, um, you know, you d- there's not too much you have to do, but you're also quite restricted in what you can do. Um, at least the weather has been quite good and um, we've been able to go out for quite a few walks. Right. I've, I've got three young kids. And so, I mean, I, I think because of the children, we don't have the issue of boredom <laughs> um, that some people yeah. might have. I know a guy... From down my street past me walking his dog and I made some comment like must be going for lots of walks now and he um yeah he said something like really struggling with it and then the next minute Aww. um his partner was he was back at the house and his partner was storming off and saying she was gonna kill herself or something whoa <laughs> sounded pretty That's pretty um crazy bit of, bit of a domestic yeah um just yeah people getting getting a little yeah, bit um yeah over being together 24 7 yeah my sister was saying something about how sad it's going to be with like the increase of domestic violence because of this situation um mm-hmm. and i thought that was it was interesting the other thing i also thought was like our neighbors um they have a couple kids and it's quite funny when I told them that we're pregnant and we're having a child soon. He was so excited. He was like, oh, it's like the best thing you'll ever do. And he was like crazy excited about it. But man, they do not look like they enjoy having kids. Like, oh, really? Ever, ever, man. Like, I, I do not like it's It's amazing. Like it's just constant nonstop, like yelling at the kids and the kids doing crazy stuff. So and them not disciplining them. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a surprise to hear him how excited uh, he was for me to have kids. <laughs> Maybe he just wanted some company. I mean, there, there's the, the thing is that there's always times between the shouting that yeah. are really um, nice times and precious and all that. Yeah, and I think like part of they're not wanting to discipline the kids is because they just love them so much in terms of enjoying them and how cute they are and everything they do. So mm. obviously, it's it's never one without the other, I guess. Mm. But um, anyway. <laughs> enough for that <laughs> but yeah um i do oh that was the thing i was i was thinking that uh what this whole period is probably going to do is it's going to force a lot of people to have to deal with a lot of issues because yeah, that's they, true. they can't really escape anymore yep. which is what we often do so um here's praying for everyone mm, <laughs> really indeed. uh so today i thought we would talk about the next part i think in that book well we tried to actually do this podcast before but we realized that it didn't record so we're kind of doing it again but <laughs> which is funny i thought i'd mention that but yeah we're going to talk about the authority of uh who or the authority of those who can interpret scripture who who has the authority to interpret scripture i believe sure. is that is that the yeah next that's right so yeah so the, the author is talking about how <clears throat> well, the difference between the catholic and the protestant approaches to scripture interpretation and he says that for catholics um, it's the the Pope and the bishops, known as the magisterium, 
um, their role, uh, they're the ones entrusted with interpreting scripture. And basically nobody, no individual is allowed to interpret scripture um, in a way that would conflict with the way that the church has understood um, the scripture in the past and, and, and the way that the church teaches about it. So he says that's, you know, he kind of disagrees with that approach and he says the Protestant view is um, basically that, um, well, he acknowledges that there are a number of connections between the Catholic and the Protestant view uh, for a start. So he says Catholics and Protestants both agree on a certain level of how we approach scripture, um, like looking at what did the human author um, intend, perhaps, so yep. looking at really at the genre and um, looking at the context and historical context and so on and the language that's used and all of that. Um, also, um, we need inspiration from the Holy Spirit to interpret the scripture. And, um, and there's some different levels of meaning that we look at and a lot of those things agree. Um, but then he says for Protestants, they don't have the Pope and the bishops. Um, but I guess they have the, the elders or the pastor of their church um, to help guide them. Mm, mm. And it's interesting because um, you do often notice a, a dynamic where if you disagree with the pastor or any elder within the church on how they interpret scripture, um, it isn't going to go very well. <laughs> Even if, um, well, usually I think you can ask questions, but there's always questions that you can't ask. But if you're, if you're challenging or disagreeing with something that the um, the chief teachers of the church have said, this is the way it is interpreted. Uh, I don't think it will go very well. And I think that um, usually it, it probably, it probably uh, works itself out in a similar way to um, the way that the Catholic church has their position on bishops and the Pope with respect to, um, scripture but it, i think you sent me a link or, or you sent me like a quote or something about um the way it's actually written that seemed to imply that the it's it's not so much about uh that the 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 pope and the bishops just the way that they individually read scripture is correct but more um it seems to imply more of like a, if you disagree with the dogma of the church then it's that which has been defined as definitely correct or something like that or how would you flesh that out a little bit because it seemed almost like you were saying the the this the sort of thing that protestants often say which is um mm. that you can never that, that that they would never get anything wrong or something like that that the pope's infallible or something yeah like that. yeah well and i suppose i i couched it that way on purpose i suppose oh. um <laughs> but, but because because i i wanted to show and uh, maybe try and express it in a more protestant perspective mm. um but yeah he he actually quotes from a church a catholic church council the council of trent in the 16th century mm. which says no one relying on his own judgment shall in matters of faith and morals um distorting the holy scriptures in accordance with his own conceptions presume to interpret them contrary to that sense which Holy Mother Church um, has held and holds. Right. And that it belongs to, to the church to judge the true sense and inspiration of the scriptures. 
Hmm. And how does the how does the Catholic Church like? What do they mean by the Church when they when they say that? Yeah. Well, um, it's quite it's a very rich concept, really. Um, it certainly doesn't mean just the Pope and the bishops. I like it. It means all believers. I mean, it even doesn't is even not restricted to Catholics. Um, it's the Church actually refers to all the members of Christ, all His disciples, all those who have been baptized into Him, all those. Um, who share the same faith in yeah. him. Yeah. Um, so there's this 2,000 years of the existence of the church and it, um, and the church reading these sacred texts and understanding them. Mm. And, um, and so I guess this is what we've talked about, tradition already. This question is very much connected with tradition. And that each... Theological tradition, though, I guess. Yeah, yeah, the tradition that surrounds scripture and how how different scriptures are read and understood. Mm. And we know that it's possible to have different traditions because, you know, when you encounter, say, someone from quite a different tradition, say a Mormon, and you can be talking about the same scriptures, but they're not understanding them in the same way that you are. And so you're like, whoa, okay. And it's hard to even... Um, <laughs> I would say that when mediate. you're just talking to uh, any other Christian in general and you realize that they don't interpret the scriptures. Well, yeah, well. that's true. But I, I guess I wanted to provide a more, a more like Obvious, stronger yeah. Yeah, contrast that any um, mainline Christian could probably identify with. Um, and one where there's actually doctrinal differences that are, that make a massive difference, you know, where, yeah. we, where we don't say Mormonism is actually a, christian denomination um strictly speaking right yeah so um so it's possible to have quite a different tradition around the same scripture and for that tradition to actually um push your interpretation off the off the edge of of what's deemed like within the bounds of christian um thought you know or or acceptable or um perhaps uh, non-heretical in the sense yeah. of, of being a, a threat to the loss of your salvation, perhaps. Yeah, well, and that that's always been the key, I think, that question has always been the key when it comes to um, discerning if something is a heresy or not. Mm. Because I know in the early church, they would often say, if if we accept what this group of people is saying, it implies that we're not saved. Mm. So, um, so if if Christ did not really come in in the flesh, if he just appeared to come in the flesh, then it means that the flesh is not redeemed, and so we're we're not saved. Or, or if Jesus didn't, if Jesus um, had a human body but not a human soul, um, which was another heresy, um, then the human soul is not redeemed, and so we're not saved, mm. uh, and so on. And also, um, like, if what about when, uh, say, like someone denies the dogma of the the church? Does that make them a heretic as well? And how how would that work itself out? Yeah, like a particular dogma. Do you mean? Yeah, like, um, I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't claim to know what all the dogmas of the Catholic Church are, but um, so. yeah, well, I guess a heretic is someone who, strictly, a heretic is someone who denies a dogma. And refuses correction, right? Yeah. Okay, well, so course, so you yeah. can you you can hold a view that's that's um that's at odds with Christian teaching, but be unaware of it, right? And you're not you're not really a full on heretic, right? Um, 
but then then if someone says oh no this is actually the faith and then you refuse to be corrected mm. then i guess you're 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 a heretic well it's I mean, interesting we, we, like we don't like to use the, those words so much <laughs> these days but yeah i mean the, sometimes it's helpful to just say it's, them it's quite a strict thing i think um it's interesting i've thought about this and it, it seems to me that it's if you're going to proclaim something that you are definitely or clearly not justified in proclaiming but yet you're going to proclaim it triumphantly as if it's definitely true but you're mm. without justification then yes. what it implies is that you're not really open to pursuing truth or it implies mm. that you don't you're not seeking truth in in your in yourself um yeah. and being a christian is one whom uh desires to seek after god and that means desires to seek after truth and seek after love and to seek after being like jesus and yeah. and doing that means that you're always open to correction you're always open to discernment and, and growth and um when it comes to things that we know to be true uh, without a doubt say or with we know that there is no justification to deny such a truth that we've proclaimed which is what i think the church declares as dogma and someone is saying it's definitely false um i guess it's just the set of information that we believe um they can't deny or that they have no justification for and so if they declare it as false then they are not open to truth anymore mm. i guess it, I mean, that's how i've worked it out in my head as a protestant who's just trying to give a charitable interpretation to <laughs> um maybe a catholic view is that how would yeah. you re rebuke my uh <laughs> no i think that's it? right no i wouldn't critique it i think i think what you've said is right oh okay um yeah that's good <laughs> i'm glad <laughs> um yeah it's interesting um I, I don't think that many protestants really see things see it like that um i don't know many protestants that actually understand that uh this notion of uh, being a christian means desiring to pursue jesus in a full mm. way and that if you don't desire to pursue anymore if you reject the opportunity to grow or the possibility that one is wrong if you kind of reject that openly that you've kind of self-defined yourself as no longer christian or as the yeah, scriptures sure. might imply i think one of them says like if you go to your brother who sinned three times with the elders and whatnot and they refuse to be corrected or refuse to change their ways, say, then treat them as a Gentile, which is essentially mm. to treat them as non-Christian. Um, yeah. But yeah, Protestant, we don't really like talking about that passage very often in church. <laughs> yeah, I'm, although I think, I mean, that's about church discipline primarily. Like it's about, um, yeah, I guess it's it's morals and and. I guess it is covered in that quote that I read out. So it's important mm. to note that that quote is about faith and morals. It's not so um, as in, you know, what is the faith and what is the moral teaching of Christianity? Mm. It's not a, a question of, say, um, prudence. Like, you know, you might disagree with um, the hierarchy about a course of action that they're taking and you you're fine to disagree with them like it's not that the course of action they're taking is some kind of dogma um and so yeah you you might you might voice your disagreement and they might um come back with their justification and then you might refuse to to um to be convinced by it by it and so on 
that's a completely different thing because that's just a question of prudence. Mm. Um, so it's that's not the same. Um, it's not like the church claims that her leaders are always going to make the wisest choices when it comes to you know how to go about preaching the gospel effectively or how to go about um, increasing um, the faith within amongst believers or whatever. Um, that's, that's something where, where we fail and err quite a lot. Um, but I guess we trust the Holy Spirit is, not, is guiding the church to, um, to uh, hold on to the truth that was given by Christ. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the dogmas in, in the um from what I've seen, because I have this book called The Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma, it's written by some German dude, I think. Um, but it's very, very concise. It's really brilliant piece of work for understanding what Catholics actually hold to, um, or should be holding to at least. And I think, you know, any serious Protestant who's wanting to evangelize to everyone or wanting to have dialogues with Catholics or anything like that should really have this book. Um, but the way the book words a lot of the stuff with respect to, say, the infallibility of the church or the, the sort of where the, the notions of the Pope's infallibility comes from, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't word it. it. It talks about the church as a whole being infallible. That's what the dogma mm. actually is. And I find that um, no, I haven't taught me a single Protestant that even has any idea what that means or have even heard of that notion before. Mm. And um, when I mention it, it's like, what is that even? It's like there's like this bewilderment that comes upon them almost. And even in my mind, there's sort of like this sense of a, what does that even mean? You know? Yeah. Um, um, I, I think it's worth bringing up this distinction between natural sciences and um and faith and how they arrive at truth. So, you know, you were saying before, what if someone just comes up with some wacky interpretation of scripture? Yeah. Um, now in science, the equivalent would be someone coming up with a scientific hypothesis or a theory, putting it forward as a theory where it didn't have evidence. There, were, there wasn't adequate supporting evidence for the theory. Mm. And but they were just um, they were just teaching it anyway as if it, as if it was just truth, and now that we would say that's irresponsible when it comes to science. Um, when it comes to faith, it's not like that because what we've been given is something. It's a historical revelation. So Jesus, you know, came at a certain time and place, and he revealed God to us. And so um, the task of the church is to hand down intact that revelation that was given rather than um, it's not like making new discoveries based on new evidence or, you know what I mean? It's um, there is a deepening in the way maybe we understand it hopefully over time, but still we're understanding the same truths. It's the same truths that were given um, 2000 years ago. Right. Um, and so that's what we mean by tradition. Tradition is this process guided by the Holy Spirit of handing down what was given in the beginning. And the scripture is, is, is like the key um, piece of that. But as we've already discussed, a text itself needs, um, needs to be read in the right light. And so in a way, the, tr the, the tradition surrounding scripture 
provides the right light in which to read the scripture. And um, so they work together. There's a harmony between, hopefully, between the scripture and that tradition, which is the, the process of the handing down. Because even the scripture needs to be translated and the, the text needs to be updated to meet the changes of language. And so they're all intermingled as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you, you could, I mean, because it's like a, say, what, what I was going to ask, what is the Catholic doctrine of revelation? But perhaps there's different aspects of revelation. You could, you could say like a deepening of, of the original and the original teaching, which mm. might be something like, um, oh, we've, we've studied this a little bit closer and we've realized there's a bunch of implications for reality in a certain yes. way that we, we didn't see before. So you could yeah. call that revelation. Um, of something but it's not a new it's not like it's revealed any new teaching perhaps is that kind of yeah it's it's not really new content i guess you could say that what was implicit before can become explicit mm. and i would definitely say that's the case for from a catholic point of view that's the case with the, the teachings about mary mm. the teachings about mary are not explicit in the early church for example um some of them are although if you if you look at the fathers of the church but right. um but not in the sense that they are now and that's some that's one area where the catholic church gets criticized a lot by protestants mm -hmm. um but we can point back to the implicit seeds of those doctrines so it's all there in the initial revelation and what has happened over time is that what has been there implicitly um has been made more explicit um and you know, a lot of, for example, the Marian doctrines have been made more explicit alongside defending the doctrines of Christ. And mm. so one example would be there was a, a debate. The, um, the Nestorian heresy pretty much said that Jesus is um, a divine person and a human person. Mm. He's two. Yeah. Um, and... In the end, the, the, after debate and councils and so on, church said, no, um, Christ is one, one divine person in two natures. Mm. And, and one of the parallel things that was said um, in that discussion was Mary, that they, they defended the idea that Mary is the mother of God. She's not right. the mother of, of the human Jesus or the mother of his human nature only, ah, or something like that. So would that because, be where the, the phrase mother of God sort of became more prominent after that? Yeah, point? definitely. Before because then, that, perhaps that phrase wasn't used as much. Um, yeah. I don't know how far back it goes in the Greek. It was actually Theotokos, which is God bearer. Right. Um, so, oh, right. and they that still, cool. the, the Greek or the Eastern Christians still refer to Mary as Theotokos. Um, in the West, it's been more mother of God. Martyr Day. Interesting, because um, like it's, I would say God bearer is much. Um, God bearer seems to be far more true to the Protestant notion of Mary's position than the sort of perhaps more perceived ambiguity um, within Protestantism of the phrasing "Mother of God." Mother of God. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I came across something the other day. It, was, it said. Mary, mother of the Trinity. And I'm like, no, what? that's not right. That's... <laughs> it, it was just some, some, it wasn't official. It was just some, someone had devised this title. And I'm like, no, that's not correct. Like, she's not mother of the Father. No, that she's not mother of the Holy Spirit. Incorrect. She's mother of the Son. And, that, and because the Son is God, then yeah. she's mother of God. But the point is that if you deny she's mother of God, 
then there's a danger that you're denying that Jesus is God. Right. I see. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, well, and, I mean, and that's clearly like, where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, and so all the Marian doctrines are like this. And this is really, really not um, uh, recognized a lot. They're all oh, completely not. I mean, that's the, one of the most obvious ones. And I've heard quite a bit about the mother of God being a phrase that like is not really good. Like William Lane Craig's mentioned this a couple of times in some podcasts, perhaps most people haven't heard of um, where he talks about it's, it's, it's not a useful phrase mother of God because it's confusing and it, and it like can give people the wrong idea. But mm. um, I think word God bearer is, is a lot more accurate and easier to explain um but but that you're saying the greek phrasing is that anyway so yeah it's really yeah. only in the english that we've got this other phrasing. well in in the yeah. west so um western europe oh, okay. uh, has been more mother of god oh. and um and east has been theotokos Interesting. um yeah anyway oh well um so so <laughs> uh, so yeah um kind of getting back to our scriptural interpretation the point is not that you have this hierarchy that can just arbitrarily decide how scripture is going to be interpreted and the rest of us you know too bad you guys just have to follow in behind mm. but no it's like no there's this there's this line of tradition of of handing down the word of god from generation to generation and the um the pope and the bishops they they're chiefly responsible for um kind of ensuring that that process does stay true yeah so where there is a um disagreement when there's controversy and someone has to step in and someone has to take some authority well they're the ones that have been given that authority because um, if you don't if you haven't decided who's got the authority beforehand then it's just a big punch-up brawl isn't it well i guess it's it's kind of like um <laughs> wait 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 it's funny you said it's just a big punch-up brawl. I mean, I imagine I could see all the bishops having a big punch-up brawl, but I mean... Well, no, I'm talking about if there's no there's no authority, so everyone's just... Yes, everyone's yes, every yes. man for himself, you know? No, it would, yeah. And the thing is, is it's funny, like, um, at first you feel like, oh, but like, you know, you're giving them the, the exclusive authority to, to decide what is the teaching of the church, say, um, and perhaps where the, that's where the notion of um, the Pope and the bishops decide everything type thing in protestantism comes from but if you really think about it from protestant perspective if you were to say like you know how i mentioned how you can't really um go against the strong teaching of your pastor you know like if you did you, you're gonna get ousted from your church um and or you're gonna cause a massive scandal in your church and who knows what would happen but um imagine if all the pastors so all of these people who hold this kind of natural authority within your churches all of these people came together in a collective to decide what was the teaching of the collective church. I mean, what hope in heck do you have of rejecting that? You know, if you can't even go against say your own pastor on stuff he says is definitely true. So it's, it's really a natural, it, it seems very natural to me. It doesn't seem like a, a, a dangerous or bad or unnatural um, uh position of authority to give a group of people if mm. you know what i'm saying yeah well, from a i think a, another another way of saying exactly what you're saying is it's kind of inevitable that it, yeah that, <laughs> uh, such a structure of authority will inevitably occur um 
and yeah. where where that you try and get rid of it, it just creates a vacuum that will then be filled again. And yeah. it seems to be what happens with human well authority in in human um, groups that you you say let's not have any authority, and then soon enough, someone with a bit of clout is going to come in and take charge. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just. I think a lot of people also, I mean, it happens naturally really easily on the lowest levels because people don't have time to do everything. You know, you don't have time to look into certain things. And those who appear to have confidence on certain issues, you're going to give them authority merely by uh, respecting what they say and listening to them. Hmm. Um, and so, like you say, someone's going to come along and take charge, but it's not in a dominant kind of way. It's in a natural, actually, someone's going to come along and people are going to give them charge. Mm. without you even without them even taking charge you know it's um it is inevitable i think it's mm. a very good uh matrix term to use <laughs> the, the other thing is that um it's not true that the pope and the bishops are necessarily the most qualified all the time no i yeah. mean ho hopefully they are well qualified hopefully they're perhaps steep... spiritually we would say they were qualified to discern yeah yeah perhaps but again it's a perhaps because yeah. um, sometimes people are concerned about their bishop, for example, because he mm. um, doesn't seem to be an amazingly prayerful guy and, and, and he doesn't appear to be as theologically inept as, as other people around him. Or perhaps um, he's not as sensitive to what the people are needing. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, there can be all levels of, um, uh, what's the word? Deficiency? Um, <laughs> Def deficiency yeah like um things not working very well on a human level yeah um what what we believe is that as catholics is that the structure of the church the bishops which in the greek new testament is episkopoi so it's normally translated as overseers hmm. um but it's the same word um th this is a structure given to the church by christ and so it's it's not our idea and so it's um, it's marked by all of our um, deficiencies, or um, but it's it's something which he guarantees that will be ultimately uh, effective because of him, not because we're so amazing. Um, it's just sort of despite us that it works, mm. not because of us. And I guess that's perhaps where you might say the faith and the leading of the Holy Spirit of the Church would really come in. It's like, do yeah. you? because this is the ultimate question. And I think we'll come back to this a lot of times throughout this journey for myself, at least is do we have good reason or do we have assurance um, of our hope that the Holy spirit leads the church into all truth. Mm. Um, and I think that that hope that, that, that very phrasing is the Hebrews phrasing of what faith is. So it's, yeah. it's an assurance of hope in something. And so that's the question I think we have to answer for ourselves um, and I think that it'll be cool to see how it unfolds. Mm. Um, so I guess we'll wrap it up there. Uh, I did have Nathan McDougall, my friend, who's a Protestant, came on board for podcast um, just the other day. And that was a really good, we had a good chat. Uh, and he was really keen to get into um, what, how does the church define doctrine? How do we, how do we create doctrine? and is right. scripture doctrine and that sort of thing and i think it's yep. a natural follow-on from this talk and yeah so sure. perhaps we'll explore that some more this week and then me and nathan will have a uh, a real bat at it um from the protestant uh perspective and in various um theories so 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks everyone for listening, and I uh, hope you have a great day and uh, stay safe and clean and healthy during this uh, COVID lockdown. Thanks, Cam. Okay. Bye bye.